0: Welcome back to the Ultra Hope Girls podcast. We are so excited that you're listening in today. Um, today, we are going to be delving in to Chapter 5 of Trigger Happy Havoc. Um, so just so you know, uh, this episode will spoil Chapter 5, Trigger Happy Havoc. So thank you for listening in. We have a lot to cover today, and we are very excited to get started. I'm Maddie.
1: I'm Marin. And I'm Caroline. And we're the Ultra Hope Girls.
0: Welcome to the Don and Rumpa podcast. Showtime. You're
1: on the threshold of an
0: amazing episode. Showtime. This is the case where Kyoko disappears for a bit. The group finds a body and assumes that it is Kyoko's, but after the trial occurs, they learn that it is not Kyoko and is instead Mukuro Ikusaba, the 16th student. Dun, 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 dun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey guys how hey. are we hanging today pretty good,
0: pretty <laughs>
2: good. Dandy. excited to talk so, about this yeah.
1: yeah there is like so much to cover we actually don't know yet if we're gonna split this into two episodes because <laughs> there's so much to talk about but we'll find out yeah we will find, find
2: out i will say unpopular opinion this case case number five in trigger happy havoc is my favorite in the first game Can I just
1: say, so I, like, I I had this, my first time playing the game, everyone take a shot every time I say that in an episode, (laughs) I say it all the time, but, um, (laughs) but the thing is, is, like, I hated this case when I watched the anime, I was like, oh my god, I have no idea what's going on, and the game, I was like, this is so good, it kind of feels like, like Danganronpa 2's cases, this one does, you know what I mean?
0: No, I definitely get what you're saying, though, I mean... Yeah, I felt very much like I was Makoto in this trial, um, whereas some of the other ones have been like, ah, look at this normal kid, you know? He's solving <laughs> mysteries. But this time it felt like I was solving mysteries. <laughs>
2: true. Yeah, and this is also kind of the second time in the game where you as Makoto, like, fight to clear your own name. Like, you're the prime My- suspect. It kind of comes back around full circle.
0: That's true. Yeah, absolutely. I actually have a really good thing to start with, um if that's all right. Okay, so the title of chapter five um, is uh, 100 Mile Dash Semicolon Pain of a Junk Food Junkie. Um, And I'd like to give a small shout out to my dad who introduced me to a lot of music when I was younger. (laughs) And the title, The Pain of a Junk Food Junkie actually comes from a song by Larry Gross, which is a really funny song. It's completely a comedic novelty song. So I hate to... Overanalyze that. That was not Larry's intention, I would imagine. (laughs) Um, But the song is all about a guy who, during the day, eats a lot of health food and, like, is everyone regards him as the healthiest person ever. And as soon as he gets home, he eats like horrible foods for him. Uh, So the song goes like, Oh, yeah, in the daytime, I'm Mr. Natural, just as healthy as I can be. But at night, I'm a junk food junkie. Good Lord, have pity on me. And I think that the song is hilarious in itself. But when you recognize why they picked that title for this chapter, it's because this whole chapter is about appearances not being what they seem. You know, like, I Mm. actually think this is the perfect song to pick for chapter five. But yeah. That's really
1: neat. And and it's funny because um, my first, like, comment that I even wrote is um, there is a very Brechtian moment at the top of this. And so I'll explain what that means. Um, I Yeah. So Brecht is a theater creator. He wrote musicals and plays, I believe, also. Um, and a big part of his plays is that th- the situ- situation that the people are in in, the, in these shows are very meta. And so, like, the people on stage are very aware that they're in a play and like the characters are aware they're in a play and there are certain characters that may not be aware, but there's always like the fourth wall is broken a lot. And this foreshadowing of the next murder, because at the top of the chapter, it's like, you know, in three days this murder would occur and you see the body and that has, is the first time that's ever happened. And this is a very like Brechtian way to go about it because Brecht theater at the beginning, they say the ending of, of the play like that's like a big like motif in that and you know we discover obviously later on in this chapter that this is being aired right um for people to watch and that the meta commentary with this and also like certain comments throughout like in the monokuma theater how it's like a game commercial it's like a commercial break and there's like a, a bunch of things that happen that are very like poking fun at the fact that this is what's happening and so that is like a term that is that essentially and so that's the style of of storytelling that the creators chose to go with for this chapter which has made it very different than interesting
2: i like that a lot yeah
0: nice theater (laughs) theater
2: (laughs) um did we want to do the thing where we do like a quick rundown of like the new developments that happen because i have a little list if we want to do that again
0: Yeah, we can start with the new places, maybe, because there are a lot of new rooms.
2: Yeah. Um, This is the first note I have. I wrote down three words. Scary murder classroom. Um, (laughs) It's the first thing I have written. (laughs) Um, It's interesting. The wall, written on the wall in that room, it says eye for an eye. That's kind of interesting. We learn that, according to Monokuma, Monokuma just left the room exactly as he found it. Um, (laughs) So he says... And um, as you're investigating the room with Byakuya.
1: Your beauty is beyond compare With golden locks and skin so fair Ooh, Byakuya Togami
2: Byakuya Togami He says um, the bloodstains look really old, over a year old. Um, possibly from the time of the tragedy, and it looks like a large group of people were killed in that room, which makes you wonder (laughs) what went on in there. Um, We also find on the fifth floor of the building now, which is, that's where the new classroom is, is the fifth floor has opened up. There's a dojo, a biology lab that is locked, so they can't get in, and a greenhouse with a, quote, scary murder plant, unquote. We also find out that, they might have kind of reached the end of the road in the school now because there are no more stairs leading up from the fifth floor. So this is possibly the top floor of the building and as far as it goes.
0: I want to take it back to that classroom actually. Talk a little bit about that. We can go through each room maybe, but um, the classroom, I noticed um, the blood is red there um, and throughout the game blood is pink,
2: bright, yeah, wait, you're neon right neon pink.
0: Yeah, I never yeah. realized that. And I think they're explaining that by saying it's really old. You know, I think that was kind of their way of showing it. Um, But I don't know. Blood doesn't, I mean, it changes color, but not drastically from like a hot pink tone to like a dark red. And so I kind of took it as also a creative note in saying how much more serious that blood was because the deaths of these students is serious. But at the same time, it wasn't ever considered to be like the tragedy, you know. Like these deaths from the classroom, they're considering to be part of the tra- like the tragedy. They even say, I think Biakia is the one who says it, but Biakia says like this must be the ultimate tragic event—the genocide of the students.
1: Yeah, and and going off of that, it, it's so in a way. Like I'm thinking, like I I'm trying to think of how to say this. So when tragic events happen, um, like in our nation, there's a specific example I am thinking of, um, but I don't want to talk about it just because it is a very sensitive topic for a lot of people. But like in regarding schools and things that have occurred in our country about that topic, the first time it happened, it was like a huge deal. And people were like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Like these children, like this is all happening, all this stuff. But like as time has passed, the reaction to the things happening are like it's it's becoming normalized and so it almost feels like within the game itself it's like the this first tragedy or whatever was like huge and we know like based on evidence the ultimate physicist died in the tragedy the ultimate biologist died in the tragedy and so because of that like we can deduce that maybe that was like the first and this is like just a result of that kind of, if that makes sense, you know what I mean? Like, this is, like, a trickle-down.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, yeah no and at, at first, I was honestly kind of skeptical, and when Biakio made that comment, I was a little skeptical at first that, um like, the murder of however many students happened in that one classroom, that that was the tragedy itself, because, I mean, it's horrible. Like, it's absolutely awful if, you know, a handful, like, a bunch of students were murdered in one place, but um, they call it the biggest, most awful, most tragic event in human history. And I can think of a, a, you know, a lot of really awful events in human history that have ended with a lot, like much higher death tolls and much higher rates of suffering and that kind of thing. And so I was like, well, that doesn't seem like, you know, and so right. it, it could be that this is just one piece of the puzzle.
0: Right. Um, I have to admit, when I first saw the outlines on the floor, the chalk outlines, it reminded me of a meme I saw a long time ago where it was a picture of a chalk outline and the caption was, who's that Pokemon? And that was my first thought when I went in the room was like, who are these Pokemon? <laughs> That's probably horrible, but. <laughs> that is glorious. So <laughs> Thank funny. You. That's so funny. <laughs> um are we get to move to the botanical garden oh yeah baby let's do it all right let's talk about that big flower i was really getting little shop of horror vibes yes uh, oh yeah. yeah what else we got in there we have the chicken coop um yeah let me and tell just you say mm-hmm.
1: five chickens are the amount of chickens in there they really mm-hmm. let you know that from the very beginning every we person be is like clear. there's five chickens in this chicken coop there are five and i was like are you kidding me like that is that is so obvious that there is going to be anyway.
2: But eventually, there are four. So I think we should have a moment of silence for our fallen chicken that perished in this chapter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, how many chickens were there at the start? Can anyone remind f- me? Five. I think chickens. there
2: were seven.
0: Five. Seven. Chi- five. Five. I think
2: it's, seven. Chickens. It was hard to keep track.
0: Yeah. I wish someone had told me a couple times five chickens okay um hero actually talks about that he says whenever the number 5 pops up that's a good omen it contains the mysteries of the cosmos and is a number of power and this is chapter 5 and i would argue that it was a really big push for the big explanation of the mastermind what's happening outside um so hero is onto something there
2: yeah You're not wrong yeah, dude mm-hmm. yeah we also find in the shed, in the garden, a certain pickaxe with a certain name on it of a certain biker gang, Crazy Diamond, belonging to Mondo Awada. Don't know why that's there, but it is. True.
1: It's kind of like when Hifumi was like, oh, I lost this camera and I just assumed they took it. Like, it's like kind of that. It's like some finding something. Yeah. That I don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know how it got there.
0: Yeah. Because Mondo, when we see Mondo, he did not have any time to place his pickaxe on the fifth floor. You know, he didn't get access to that. So, clearly, something's going on.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I think, like, for me, if I were playing for the first time, my first thought would be like, oh, like, are they still alive? Yeah. Does that mean, like, they're somehow still alive in the school? Anyway.
2: Especially with the pictures that we have found. Oh, yeah. Of the characters. Like, it just makes you wonder what's going on with them we've also got the dojo yeah Mm -hmm. yep and the dojo i I made a couple interesting notes about the dojo is that there's some symbolism there um in the dojo there are a bunch of cherry blossoms in full bloom and um sakura who has you know r.i.p recently perished the name sakura actually means cherry blossom and so we see and and it's also a dojo you know it's a this is like for me the entire dojo is a reference to sakura's character i thought that was kind of cool
1: that's
0: awesome. That's so
2: cute. No, that's My
1: real. Girl. Oh, I love that. Like I, sakura blossoms. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the only room left is the bio lab, which you can't get into. um yeah. And there's the word "raw" pitten on uh pitten pitting on the door, uh <laughs> written on the door. um Yeah, which Maddie got.
2: I when I saw that, I also wondered if it could have been "war." Like, I thought the because same thing. Up and down. If it's "war" uh, or "raw."
0: yeah i wondered because it might have been blood like someone writing from the floor up um Mm. yeah
1: my next thing is going back to the dining hall with the knife um (laughs) yeah and all i have is like i mean i literally just wrote like that they all trust him and give him the knife it's like almost like they were like setting him up to be like murdered (laughs) like it was like like the whole crew (laughs) was like all right Makota, you're the most trustworthy and he's like i don't want this burden but okay
0: What's interesting is in the anime, that's not how it goes down. Um, In the anime, uh, Hiro takes the knife from Toko and is like, well, she can't have this. And Byakuya takes it from him and says, you can't and Hina can't either because we've seen you have a clear history of uh, violence. Um, and so he actually gives it to Makoto and says like, you're the only one, basically you're the only one I trust with this knife. So, Mm. Hey, little friendly thing from Byakia to Makoto. (laughs) A
2: little friendship blossoming. (laughs) Um, I literally, okay. The fact that they give it to Makoto, I was like, when I was first playing this, I was like, I don't know if that's a good idea. Like, I don't know if I would trust Makoto with the knife. He doesn't lock his doors. He doesn't, does not seem very responsible. (laughs) And lo and behold, he decides to keep the knife in his desk drawer, which is the stupidest place to hide a weapon. Like, buddy, hide it under your mattress or something. Not under your pillow, under your mattress, because then nobody can sneak it out while you're sleeping. And like, you know exactly where it is. Like, nobody's going to find it there. It's just, desk drawer, like, seriously? And then we all know how that ends.
0: He literally was like, this is the
2: safest place. And I, I was like, put it away. no, I was like, it's not, you idiot. Oh no. <laughs> um I also have a note about that that passing off the knife scene is that um Byakuya says his first nice thing ever I know I have an all caps
1: Byakuya compliments Toko
2: (laughs) (laughs) and then he insults her four seconds later and like tells her to die (laughs) In
0: that conversation, someone, I think it's Hina both times, but it might be Hiro, um, says to Byakuya, how high is that horse you're riding on? And to Toko, how low is that rock you're hiding under? And the play there <laughs> was just so good. It was so good. I think that's Hero. Uh, yeah, I think I remember that. That's perfect.
2: Yeah.
1: Shout out. Oh, God, Star. And Kyoko then claimed, like, says that she has no memory of her mm-hmm. ultimate ability. Um, and the group doesn't believe her in this moment, um, which At I don't blame on.
2: definitely doesn't.
1: Because he knows she's smart, you know what I mean? And I, I think he could assume that she might be playing them, you know?
0: Yeah, I also noted that he is really taking charge here, Byakuya. Like, this is one of the first times he's stepping up to lead all of them versus you know stepping up to insult or get away or like do his own investigation with the game
2: or yeah because before he kind of just kept to himself he didn't want anything to do with anyone else now it's interesting to see like his his ceo personality is now showing as he (laughs) kind of takes charge yeah that's really true i I
1: didn't really make that connection but yeah (laughs) um and then, yeah, Ma- I, I just have, events-wise, something stolen from Monokuma. Mm-hmm. He says He's it's angry. a key and redacted, but we find out later that it's Mukuro Ikosaba's um, file. Mm-hmm. And so, and we all know Kyoko did it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we also see that Sakura broke down the principal door, uh, principal's door, um, which is what she was talking about when she said, I'm not going down without a fight. So we get to actually see what she meant by that, um, which was really cool that, you know, she not only was thinking about paying back her debts that she like, you know, thought she had, but also she took the time to really give them an advantage coming into like the final boss battle, you know?
2: That the, the mention of that where like we find out that fact and also like the symbolism, symbolism of the dojo makes me think that there's, like, it's kind of an ode to Sakura in this chapter, like, just a little bit, like, kind of, like, almost a thank you to her for everything that she has done for them, and it's so sad, but, like, yeah, I got that vibe as well. Um, I had a note about uh, going back to the scene in the cafeteria um, when Kyoko reveals that she supposedly has amnesia, and, you know, Biakya demands to know where her ultimate talent is, and she says, I can't tell you, um, and then he takes her room key away from her and says, well, I'm going to have to like, limit your freedom or whatever until you decide to fess up. And um, I, I don't know how I felt about that. Part of me felt like it was a little extreme because, I mean, if she can't go into her room, that's basically sleep deprivation, right? Because they're not allowed to sleep anywhere outside of their rooms. Like It's breaking a school rule. They'll literally get killed for it. So eventually she's going to have to be able to get back into her room or she'll die. Like, obviously it, you know, she has some time, but like, I don't know. Did you guys think that that was going too far or did you think that he was justified?
0: I think he was justified um, because if it was me, you know, I would want to test how far she was willing to go to hide that because to me she knows, and she's just not telling me. Um, Like if I'm Biakia in the situation, Um, I will say though, She could have slept in Makoto's room um, or quite frankly, any of the students room, given rooms, given that she had that master key. Um, Not that Byakuya would have known that, but he did know that Makoto liked Kyoko. And so I think he wasn't sentencing her to die. You know, I think he was just like, this is a really, really big inconvenience and she's gonna tell me yeah I mean she even she like gets up to stand by him and he's like ha you've decided to talk and she's like nope
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's just like all right here's my room key I can't tell you did you guys believe her when she said that she didn't remember who she was I don't know I, I did
0: mean, yeah I I don't know I kind of did but I thought that if she was lying she had a reason for it Um, basically, like, this goes back to the climax of the chapter, right? Where we're
1: deciding whether we trust her or if we don't. And we're doing what we should not be doing in this scenario and going by our emotions rather than logic. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I I wouldn't have trusted her in this scenario, but...
0: There's actually a moment when, um, Kyoko is talking to Makoto and she shows him the key, um, and he says in the anime, um, he says out loud, can I trust you? And she doesn't respond. And he just kind of like nods to himself and he's like, all right. Like he kind of, you see him decide to trust her. And that was one of the very few moments that I thought the anime did a better job of in this case was just his internal struggle because Makoto is very hopeful, obviously, very easygoing, but he does struggle to trust her. And so I think that, Showing that, showing that she had to earn his trust is a really important moment.
2: Yeah, yeah, I for sure. I have a lot more to talk about and discuss with Kyoko and that whole kind of parallel, but um, I think I'll save it until we get into the trial for now. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's a huge, huge theme of trust happening in this chapter. Like, who can you trust? Who do you not trust? How far do you go to trust somebody? Right.
1: All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, what do you think of the five chickens? Let us know by leaving us a voicemail at anchor.fm. The link is in our description. We also have a Patreon that you can support. And we really appreciate anything you can give on there. And we have a bunch of awesome perks, like extra content for you to check out and Caroline's Book Club via Zoom and a Discord server. It's pretty awesome. And we're on all forms of social media. Look us up, Ultra Hope Girls Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, Amino. Anyway, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. After this.
0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: and welcome back from the break everybody we're gonna hop right back into it okay so i was gonna say as far as like the trust thing goes right like you know Kirigiri puts Makoto at risk multiple times throughout this. She wants to test her theory of whether or not the Mastermind can monitor them and control Malanakuma at the same time, but rather than putting herself in the crossfire, she puts him in the crossfire. And I, like,
2: wow! I will say, though, kind of in her defense, maybe playing devil's advocate a little bit, I don't know if there would have been a way for her to test that without doing what she did, because I don't think that, you know, for in order for... Ex- for example, in order to test like whether the Monacuma can be out and about and the Mastermind also monitoring people at the same time, two people had to be teaming up and one had to be distracting Monacuma and one had to be searching somewhere they weren't supposed to be searching. And so I think she kind of had to do what she did in order to figure that out. And um, yeah, I, and Makoto was probably the best option that she could have gone with because he would just go with it you know he would just do what she told him to because he trusts her but also i actually
0: would argue that he she didn't put him in danger you know he was breaking no rules by talking to monokuma and she was ba- breaking no rules by exploring the school you know like yeah it was dangerous in that like it brought attention to the two of them as people. Um, And I think we see in this trial that Monokuma, or the mastermind behind Monokuma, begins to target them because they're trying to find the bigger secrets. But beyond that, every action that she had him do and like she did herself were following the rules.
1: That's true. I mean, you know, you're right. You're right, actually. Yeah. I think, I guess it's more what happens later, like is more what I meant with like, Mm,
0: like
2: during the the trial but during the trial yeah i have a huge note on that but i have like one more thing that it's a quote that kyoko says that kind of i just thought was really interesting um at one point i think it's Hiro says something along the lines of like oh my god this is the worst school ever like i hate it blah 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 and kyoko says the worst school where only the worst things happen do you really mean that and it's like, huh, what does she mean? And then after that, she says, perhaps I've said too much. Clearly, she knows more than she's letting on in this instance. And that was also like a moment where you're like, huh, can, can, can we trust her? But um, it seems like she's implying that everything that's happening to them are not the worst that it could be. And so makes you wonder. I mean, they're in a pretty terrible situation already. What does she know that is suggesting that they're that this situation might not be the worst. Right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I only had, um, one more note before we get into Makoto's sickness. Um, but it was, um, from Monokuma right after, um, Kyoko and Makoto have their conversation in the bathhouse. Uh, they're, they're there, then they leave. And, um, Makoto distracts Monokuma. And during their conversation, we actually get the answer to a question that we talked about in one of our last podcasts, um, which was, why are there no cameras in the bathhouse? Yes, 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 yes. yes. and he says, he says, I'm careful to enjoy a healthy surveillance lifestyle that is free from any R-rated scenes. And Makoto's like, it's just because the lens would fog up, right? And and then uh, Monokuma's like... Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just love it. So now we have an answer.
2: <laughs> I will say another possible reason though, why there might not be cameras in the locker room is because we also realize now that it is like a TV show being broadcast. And so Monokuma might be like, oh, I need to keep those ratings down, get on the TV, you know, but I like the, I like the fog explanation better. <laughs> it's just so simple. We're sitting here thinking like, Wow, this is a huge oversight. Like, what is the mastermind plotting? Why are there no cameras? Specifically, it's literally like, eh, fog, can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my There's God. Some, another quote from that same scene when Ma- Makoto is talking to Monokuma. It made me laugh so hard. Monokuma is teasing Makoto about having been alone with Kyoko in the locker room. Monokuma is like, I bet you guys, dot, dot, dot. And then the text box just says in all caps, removed to conform with local and international censorship laws yes i loved that the first time i played through the game i couldn't stop laughing
0: (laughs) it's just so perfect
1: that's that's like another example of this meta aspect of like what's going on and this is before we find out about the broadcasting thing you know
2: yeah like it's it's just so like there is no fourth wall there's none. They're not breaking the fourth wall, because there never was a fourth wall to begin with. (laughs) Amen.
1: (laughs) I have a quote, and this may be my quote. Go for for it. For this chapter. Are we ready? I mean, surprise, surprise, the cutscene of this scene comes back like eight times throughout this chapter, so, you know, and this exact quote is brought up like 8,000 times. So here's the quote, and it's Kyoko and she says if we spend all of our time trying to avoid danger we'll never move forward and I think that that is like this literal chapter it's all about trust and taking risks because we're at the point now where it's like okay like you know we've seen it in the black and white form but now it's like in order to find new information to move forward we're going to need to like break the mold itself Um, and that's what this chapter is all about.
2: Yes, I actually had the, my quote that I have is literally the one that comes right after the quote that you just said. And it is from Makoto. It's Makoto's thoughts. And it says, at that moment, I finally realized I had never seen the slightest hint of fear or despair in Kyoko's eyes. Her gaze was firmly fixed on the mystery ahead and the enemy standing before us. And with that in view, she just smiled. And like, I, this is kind of why I love Kyoko. I think this is this chapter, honestly, and ironically in some ways, is what made me really, really just start to love her. Because, I mean, not only is she, she is crafty. She's bold. Like, she's, you know, trying to outwit the mastermind, doing all these sneaky things. And she's also, like, kind of the only one in this cast of characters right now who's taking, like, concrete, well-planned steps to actually, like, defeat the mastermind. And that made me trust her completely. I mean, I won't say whether I was right or wrong to trust her, but I did. Um, you know, because spoilers may still occur. Developments may still happen in the future. But like that quote from Makoto like sums up how I feel about Kyoko. I just think she's amazing. I, I also her. think we come back to that battlefield um, quote that I think,
0: Maddie, I think you found um, yeah, in yeah. one of our past episodes, because um, even with Biakya in that Um, the symbol of a battlefield and being born on it versus being dropped on it. Um, because when they walk into that bloody classroom, Byakuya says like, it smells like a battlefield. And like, there's just kind of these never ending reminders of these are two people who are equipped for war, but in different ways. And we see how those play out during this chapter.
1: I'm ready to go to freaking Makoto, of course, getting sick classic weakling um no i'm just kidding but um he i didn't even realize he was actually sick like because i guess in the anime do they even say that he's actually sick no okay no
0: i was so frustrated i was watching the anime and he literally just sweats a little bit in bed (laughs) and i was like how are people supposed to know my note literally says makoto's sick now i guess like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he does such a poor job of saying that. And then the next morning in the dining hall, everyone's like, where were you? And he was like, oh, I really had a fever. And it's like, if you're watching the anime, do you believe him? I mean, he had a droplet of sweat
2: on his face. Like, that's illness now? <laughs> Apparently in the dog and world. It does really come out of nowhere, though. And then it goes away right away. It's just like a very weird blip of like... Him being sick for like 12
0: hours. I did do some research on fever dreams because I was Mm. like, you know, he doesn't really know if it's real or not when he wakes up. And I was like, really? You don't think it's real? Like, come on, that looked pretty realistic. But I did some research. And um, dreams tend to happen during REM sleep, which um, sleep can be divided into two very large general categories, REM and non-REM sleep. Um, and in REM, you're more likely to remember your dreams, um, but your temperature regulation actually is worse during that time. So when you have a fever, you are your body's temperature can't really lower itself as much as it wants to, which is why fever dreams can be weirder or worse, I guess, than normal dreams. Um, The idea behind dreaming, and Maddie, you can jump in here because I know that you'll probably know a lot about this, but (laughs) the idea behind dreaming is really, really highly debated. Um, But there was a study done, but the website that I found was amerisleep.com and they did a study or they at least cited a study that said that 94% of fever dreams are negative, very negative. Hmm. Um, And so I kind of understood why Makoto was like,
2: I don't know if that was real, you know, like, I've had a horrible fever, you know. Um, one of the things that it reminded me of a little bit, I guess not so much because he, at least we're supposed to, were led to believe, like, he had some kind of tussle with this person that he was, like, fighting or whatever, um, but it kind of made me think of, like, sleep paralysis, and I don't know if either of you guys have experienced sleep paralysis. I have just no. a couple of times just in my months. life. It is really scary, and it is very real seeming like so for anyone who doesn't know for our listeners out there sleep paralysis is something that can happen when you're the part of your brain that like creates dreams is still like kind of sleeping and dreaming but the part of your brain that kind of like leads to your awareness that you're awake is awake and so you're pretty much like half asleep and half awake at the same time and another fun fact is that when you dream your brain paralyzes the major muscles of your body so that you can't act out your dream and your sleep and hurt yourself. And when you have sleep paralysis, you can kind of wake up and still be like half dreaming, but your body is paralyzed because your brain still thinks you're completely asleep. And so um, that can lead to some really vivid hallucinations and really, really like most of which are not fun. Like most of which are scary. And um, I have had that happen to me a couple times before It's not, you know, after I'm out of it and I wake, usually I can look back on it and say, oh yeah, that wasn't real. But when you're in it, in the moment, it feels insanely vivid and insanely realistic. Um, And it is very scary. So I almost wondered if that could have been like something that happened to him, but I guess not because he wakes up and the sheets are all messed up and the knife is gone. And like, clearly there's enough evidence to believe that this is something that actually did happen.
1: Well, I think the point of him being sick is so the viewers question whether or not what he saw was real. Um, and we, now we know, we know it is real. I mean, that's like fact, like what we saw, it actually occurred. Um, yeah. But I think that that's used as a sort of um, way to confuse us a little bit and see if, like, can we as the audience trust what we're seeing right before our
2: eyes? Because we, you know. Can I share another fun fact? Yeah. Just totally randomly. Um, It's about the etymology of the word nightmare. It is because um, like they, it actually, the word nightmare comes from the idea of sleep paralysis because back in, back in the olden days, people used to describe sleep paralysis as if a horse or a mare was sitting on them. And so because it happens at night, the term nightmare actually comes from that. And so it's funny because it doesn't even refer to a dream it's referring to sleep paralysis but that's where the word nightmare comes from. Wow, I love that. Not that interesting. <laughs> it's a very fun fact. <laughs> There's another part
0: of that um fever dream that I think we should mention which is where he hears himself saying I have to stay here like I know now like I have to stay. Um, which is really interesting because he hears himself speaking and he's like, I recognize this voice, but the actual content of the words, my body cannot accept, you know, it's hard for him to accept hearing himself say that. All right. The next thing that I have is, um, everyone's disassembling Monokuma in the gym.
1: That scene, that cut scene of like the, all them
0: posed, just that is such a character <laughs> study.
1: Like, <that> yeah, it <laughs> really is. <laughs>
0: And it's so good. I love how Hero is taking charge of dismantling. Like, why does Hero have all of these side talents? You know, like <laughs> ultimate actor, ultimate handyman. Um <laughs> what's going on with Hero? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I
1: mean, like clairvoyancy, like, you know, and, and this is like you could debate on whether psychics are real. That's not the conversation I'm gonna have right now, but it's also like there is an aspect of like theatricality. To what he does. And so we've talked about in the past that he's a good actor, but that probably comes from, like, what he literally does for a living. Um, but mm. this whole engineering thing, like, we, we think that he's really stupid, and it could be, yeah, in some ways he is, but maybe, like, hands-on things, he's just good at.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I actually wrote down a quote from him from like the very first conversation that um, we have with him in the morning where he says like, well, like he says something and Hina's like, where was this like a week ago? And he says, well, back then my personality hadn't quite solidified yet. And I feel like we're, we're really seeing this. I mean, Caroline talked about, like, the meta of this. He's literally discussing how his personality was not formed until chapter five, you know, <laughs> where now he's this handyman who can do just about anything they need.
2: Yeah. You're talking about <laughs> your
0: own character development.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's so real. And I feel like we're also seeing, like, the characters themselves, like, the issues between, like, none of these people really get along good Lord, but it's so funny, right. but they all work together. And it's, it's just so interesting. Anyway. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I mean, half the time in this case, it's um, Hina making fun of Hiro who then makes fun of Toko. Like these people are not truly destined to be friends. I feel like based on the scenario they're in, um, but they make it work. I don't know. Ultimate team builders right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Actually, I mean, I've got his headmaster's room.
1: Yeah, that's what I have. And just the events that occur in that up, that whole scene with like, Togo, Togo, go get this thing. Be back in one minute. Yes, master. (gasps) She leaves. And Genocide Jack shows up and says, quote, bleep sauce. And I literally, (laughs) what is happening?
0: Can we put my bleep over top of that? (laughs) Bleep sauce.
1: (laughs) Bleep sauce. Like, oh my God. It was so funny. Anyway, that whole scene was just iconic
2: i will say um the second that happened and toka returned as a genocide jack i immediately suspected that she'd found a body because she she switches when she sees blood so i was like huh what happened there
0: see i thought she had fallen because she was running so fast and like hit her head (laughs) i was like wow dedication to Biakia, number one (laughs) always forever I will say, though, the idea of them breaking down that door. Maddie, earlier in the episode, you referenced how Kyoko is one of the only people who's taking actual risks to figure out who the mastermind is. Um, And here, I think that is trying to help out with that search and trying to push forward. But something interesting is that if he had succeeded, if um, Toko had actually gone and gotten the pickaxe, he would have been killed for taking down the door or whoever had ended up doing it, probably Makoto um, would have been killed because he's like, Oh, look, like no one's watching us, but someone was, because the body had been found and they were like, Hey, maybe this is the mastermind, but it wasn't, um, you know, because we know the game continues. Um, And so if he had broken down that door, our beloved Byakuya would unfortunately have died.
2: Yeah. I mean, but there's also, wait, the the thing that stood out to me though, there's a small inconsistency. Shouldn't that door have been already unlocked because Sakura broke the door handle? Yes,
0: but I'm wondering if Monokuma locked it again,
2: um, or yeah. or Kyoko. You know, yeah, Kyoko. Is it could possible have... Kyoko did that? Don't know why, but does yeah, that make her that would more be my suspicious?
1: Question. Like, why yeah. would she do that? Which makes me think that she didn't.
0: Especially because she tells Makoto like what she found. Um, yeah, then at, at some
2: point, at some point, she tells him like you're the only one I can trust or something, and or like yeah, it, it's I'm like part of me is like why why Makoto, but then part of me is like okay, because he's he's Makoto,
0: you know? Yeah, he's so <laughs> innocent that he just can't you know <laughs> there's yeah. actually an office episode the office where uh they're, they do a murder mystery and Dwight guesses who it is immediately and he says it's never the most suspicious and it's never the least suspicious it's always like the middlest suspicious <laughs> and, <laughs> and Makoto here is the least suspicious it cannot be him <laughs> I mean
2: <laughs> yeah I have to agree with you on that
0: oh it's I love true. the office honestly a quality show
2: yeah it's uh it's a good show all right, everybody. So that is all we have for this episode today for discussion of chapter five. We ended up talking about it for so long that we split it into two episodes. So you have to stay tuned and uh, keep an eye out for our episode coming out next week um, for the rest of this chapter five discussion. But now we're going to move into Bedwed Behead part one.
1: All right, everybody. So for today's Bedwed Behead, we will be doing. All of my absolute favorite characters: Hiro, Mondo, and Makoto. <laughs>
2: and thought uh, that was sarcasm. So yeah. And I should also say um, we pulled these names out of a random name generator of all the characters. So <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I love it. We're we're getting crazy today. Oh,
0: yeah. I don't know. I really need a minute. Yeah, this <laughs> is kind of hard, actually. Um, hmm. I have my answer. Okay.
1: Actually, okay. So I would wed Hero because I think that out of all of them, he is the only one I could really stand for longer than one night. I think. Mm. I mean, not. I mean, not really. But also, we have we have sort of like we do have things in common. That's the other thing. Like, you know, he's very spiritual. I'm sort of spiritual. You know, and like what else? There, I thought of something else. Oh, he's also funny. Like he, Mm -hmm. like I do. Like honestly, like the redemption arc. Of hero is like I actually think he's like an okay character, and so like I think that he is really funny and he has his moments, and so I think that that would be better than who I would bed, which is Makoto, um, <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> because I think that he. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't want to bed Mondo. That's literally the only reason why Makoto is being bed, and then Mondo I would behead because he. I don't want to bed him. <laughs> that's it
0: that's all folks and that's all folks I think for me um, this is kind of hard I really like Mondo actually um, and so at first my gut was like bed Mondo but like I don't really want to leave him so like I think I would wed Mondo hmm. we'd be such bros you know like
1: yeah, we really would hang
0: big. Um, if he could like handle his rage, I don't know. Um <laughs> but then like that who would oh wow, I guess I would bed Makoto too um and be head hero. Uh, yeah, that would be a really <laughs> weird
2: experience, uh, but <laughs> I will go with that. <laughs> um oh gosh. I feel like God, I don't I don't wanna bed or wed. Any of these three? <laughs> Maddie
0: votes to behead all
2: three. <laughs> behead all of them. No. Okay. I think honestly, I might have the same answer as Caroline. I think I would go with. I think I would wed Hero because he does have some like things that are kind of more interesting about him. Maybe like unpack him a little bit more. Maybe I'd like grow to like him. Um, I, I I guess I would bed Makoto. I I don't love that answer but I I don't want to bed Mondo yeah Mm -hmm. Mondo's just not not attractive to me I I think I would behead Mondo I I don't hate him as a character so I'd be sad to behead him but I don't want to wed or bed him so there's my (laughs) answer (laughs) wow (laughs) incredible Okay, everybody, that is all we have for you today. But before we go, we wanted to remind you all that we do have a Patreon. So if you are able and willing to support us financially, we will gladly appreciate anything you can give us. The lowest tier is just $2 a month of a donation. Um, You also have an option to donate $5 a month or $10 a month. And you get some special perks by being becoming a patron. Um, you get access to some special episodes that we create, as well as a Discord server run by the three of us. So check that out. Um, you can also leave us a voicemail if you have a question you want us to answer on our podcast. You can leave a voicemail at anchor.fm. Be sure to check us out on our social media as well, on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, pretty much everywhere. And we actually have a website now. Um, we are at ultrahopegirls.com. So check us out there. And we will see you next week for more Don and Rampa analysis. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>